Malcolm Honline is going to join us in a second. A reminder that Malcolm Honline will be this Pesach in Puerto Vallarta. Hope I have that pronounced properly. Go to the website, PesachInVallarta.com. PesachInVallarta.com. Someone in Israel mentioned that to us, by the way. <laughs> they heard our uh, reference to Pesach in Vallarta. Uh, and also there's a phone number, 786-290-5919. That's 786-290-5919. 5919. Rosh Chodesh morning at JM in the AM. Again, a reminder, we change the clock tomorrow night. 2 a.m. becomes 3 a.m. There'll be a six-hour difference between Israel and the eastern part of the United States for a period of almost three weeks coming up starting on Sunday morning. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning era of Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachum. It's always good to be with you. Well, I'll tell you that uh, two things I learned in Israel. Number one, and you always reference the cab drivers, when you speak to the local people in Israel, I don't think I have seen a more confused electorate before any election like I'm seeing now. So that was the first thing, because very often you'll have people, especially a month before the election, with definitive views about who they're voting for. In this case, I heard every candidate you could imagine from so many different people who are completely confused about what's happening uh, with this upcoming election. The second thing I learned from the, I'm sure you saw this, from the billboards around town is that Kachlon has, has a running mate, uh, a running mate, uh, Menachem Begin, and Shas is running Rabbi Yosef. That's the way it looks. If you pay careful attention to the uh, to the billboards that are around uh, the state of Israel at this point. So people are trying to grab onto some of the great legacies of the state of Israel in order to uh, promote their own campaign. So there's my assessment of what I learned about the current campaign in Israel over the last week or so. Well, what I was impressed was how many Kachlon signs there are around. Right. It's a tremendous number. Um, and, you know, he, he could be the surprise factor here. I found the exact same thing, in, and even talking to Israelis here this week, that uh, used to usually vote could or vote uh, labor. Uh, so... They don't vote. They're reluctant to vote for Netanyahu more so than I had expected, and I think that you know over the month that to come that will change again too. But a number of them said that they would vote Kachlon because they didn't like the other alternatives. Um, Bennett could be a beneficiary, um, and the the United Party. Um, with uh, Bayit Yehudi and Otsman and the others together are polling. I think somebody told me it's seven to nine seats, depending on which poll you look at. Uh, but I do believe people are undecided, and the um, you know the, there's a, a lot of flux. I think the people are going to wait to see when Gantz really outlines um, policies. He has not done so till now, and I think. You know they will they will try to avoid it as long as necessary because he 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 this way is the alternative right. uh, and and I don't know that Lapid inspires that many people to to switch to to the party as much as I think Gantz as a new face uh, is an attraction so I, I believe it's very much up in the air and but people tend to settle back to their traditional voting patterns once they get into the uh, polling booth. I'm looking at some of the, um, because the Jerusalem Post has a great comprehensive look at the whole 
situation at the moment. And um, two of the parties you just mentioned, both Bennett's and Cajlones, are really polling anywhere between four and seven seats, not a lot. Uh, as you just indicated, though, that could be that the the real result could be much different. They could they could end up with a lot. One of them, uh, if not both, could end up with a lot more influence um, uh, over you know over the, once the election takes place. And I'm just wondering if some of those might come from uh, uh, from from potential votes that are now being attributed to um, uh, to uh, to Gantz. In other words, I'm wondering if if some people who you know, are, are telling everybody that they're willing to make this big change and go with the left block coalition, and I think this is what you mean, if in fact they're just uncomfortable with Netanyahu and will end up somewhere a little bit more moderate in their position but go, than going all the way, you know, in what politically we would say all the way left, right? But that, that would be the, the consideration there. But, but the, yes, but the um, Gans has positioned himself at center, even right. center right, right, and they, and, uh, and oops, yes, you're still there. Pardon me, you're yeah. still there. No problem. Uh, I'm sorry. And uh-huh. the and the and Lapid is sort of center left, right. So they can appeal to the broad center, and that's why I think they're not going to enunciate, you know, serious positions or will over time. But haven't uh, they did say there wouldn't be an, another disengagement in their time? Right. I think they're addressing some of of uh, the issues like Jerusalem uh, to reassure people, and Netanyahu will will strike it. And if you notice, he was uh, pictured with the military in the south yesterday, yep. and, in, uh, and then at the uh, Thad, the U.S. Uh, missile uh, anti missile system that was uh, placed in Israel as part of the uh, joint drill. Um, because he's running as the security prime minister. As usual. And we, we've talked about doubling down on that whole thing, and there's no question the way his campaign really uh, um, uh, revved up this week that he's completely on that bandwagon in uh, in trying to prove to everybody that the state of Israel and its citizens are only safe if they have Netanyahu as a leader. Uh, he continues to play that card, and like we say, he's doubling down on it. Uh, this French uh, law that they're trying to, that one of the members of the Likud was trying to introduce uh, that minor uh, violations and infractions cannot uh, – that a, a sitting prime minister would be safe from indictment or further illegal action when minor violations have taken place. It does not look like that law is going to be uh, – is going to get anywhere in the, in the Israeli system, correct? And that, and that um, if he's looking for an out um, from these you know, pending indictments, it's not going to happen. It's not going. He's not going to get out from it. Uh, public opinion, I think, is much too strong. Mm. If the system itself would allow for it, which it doesn't. Uh, w- what is interesting is that a minister, if he's indicted, has to step down. A prime minister does not. And uh, for the first time, I was told the reasoning behind that: that a minister, if he's found innocent later on, can go back then be reappointed as a minister. Right or, right or go back to his previous position. A prime minister, once he steps down, can't go back, hmm. and uh, or you know certainly not until much time passes, right. or whatever. But you can't revert back as a minister could, and be reappointed by the prime minister and, and just assume their position again. So that's the reason why the prime minister doesn't have to stand down uh, like a minister does. Right. All right. Look. This thing is interesting, and as we know now, you know, we're four weeks away. 
Um, and uh, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? And who knows once the election, in fact, is over, how they're going to uh, proceed in terms of forming a government, etc. Um, you know, I heard a lot. <laughs> I did hear a lot in Israel this week of it really makes no difference who's in charge. And, you know, <laughs> once a country gets to that point that, you know, it, it, that essentially, you know, you don't know who to trust anymore, the right or the left. You know, then you wonder about the skepticism that people have um, uh, toward the leaders in Israel at this point. But I think in that instance, he benefits that people will go with what they know, Mm. then take a chance on something they don't know, if that's in fact where they're at. Right, if that's the attitude. Boy, this is going to be fascinating, but again, every election in Israel is. But, you know, with with the challenges that Israel faces, both in the south and we see on the Harabite now over the... um, the Sharachmim over the Golden Gate right. incident, and today uh, big demonstrations uh, scheduled, and um, that the situation there is very tense, and it's Jordan that is in fact pushing that that card very hard. And you know this was this entrance was closed for a long time. Now we saw them putting down the rugs, which makes it a mosque essentially. Once a, a roof goes over it. Then it's declared officially a mosque, and they can't do anything. And this is already, the, I think, the sixth mosque on top of Harabayat on the Temple Mount. In 1967, when Israel came in, I think there was only one. And the, um, But you see how tense it is and how quickly it, uh, it can flare up. And the PA is going through its own metamorphosis, and they've picked a new candidate for... Uh, Prime Minister, who's going to be in the elections that are coming up, and it, it's uh, a guy that is very committed to um, uh, to, to Abbas, obviously, and he's not, you know, giving any uh, any leeway. But you see that they are uh, continuing to pay the terrorists, even if they don't pay their own government employees, they are paying the terrorists the, their stipends that he's doing it. Dafka, when he knows the Taylor Force Law, the laws in Israel, and saying that he's not going to take any money from Israel because they deducted um, uh, some of the money for... for they, they try to push this agenda at the recent meeting in the of the Arab parliaments, which took place in Amman, and the UAE, Egypt, and I think Saudi Arabia all voted against the clause uh, that was critical to stop the normalization with Israel. And so it went down to defeat. The instigation of it, and the you know pressing this agenda, so you know the, there's a lot of tense points, and that too will affect um, the outcome of an election. Let's go back for a second, though. You mentioned the building. This Bab Al Rama was what? Was it an empty building? Was it? It's, you, it's not you, a building. It's it's an actual shire. It's one of the gates, and it was sealed because it was a uh, Muslim Brotherhood or Hamas had dominated it so many years and used it as a headquarters inside there is a there is a building i mean there is an an area there right and the, but the the rugs were being put outside you know there there's i think a portal over it but it, it's open and they they've expanded it into a much bigger area and putting rugs down so because right. the Muslims obviously play on prey on rugs but the law is that once a roof goes over it, then it's recognized as a mosque. So that's why the police made them lift up the rugs, even though nobody explained this in the media, you know, and and um, 
Because once it's declared, then that's the way it stays forever. Okay, and once it is a mosque, then the waqf has authority over that specific building? That's, exa- that's right. But doesn't the waqf have authority over the Temple Mount? Or, or I'm, I'm mistaken, and in reality, Israel officially has security authority over the Temple Mount. and The, the waqf- police have, prior- have, have authority. The waqf... Uh, asserts itself and is being much more assertive now. Right. And as I said, Jordan has played a role in in. Um, right. So for argument, yeah. so for argument's sake, if in fact the 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 prayer card, let's use that for a second, has gotten the walk to have I don't know authority over thirty, forty, fifty percent. I have zero idea what it really is over Harabayat. Now this episode is their attempt to just grab more. Simple as that. And grab more of the Temple Mount. And right. there's an interesting uh, note there. If you, when you look at the pictures, you'll see there's like areas of dirt, um, squares. Uh, this is also material that was taken uh, when Arafat uh, built the mosque and destroyed huge amounts. And you know, the sifting project is based on that, where they took hundreds of tons of debris. You saw this up close and personal. Uh, I certainly have <laughs> many times, yeah. but but the. The material was taken, and, you know, 160,000 volunteers have worked for 10 years, uh, over the past 10 years, sifting through it, and people can just go and do it. And it's an amazing exercise, which I fully recommend. But there, there are two huge plots with additional debris that has never been sifted, never gone through, because they, the, the stuff that Israel has in the sifting project was taken to the dump. This stuff was just left there. So that too will then become covered and never accessed. Right. So the you know the the, the ramifications obviously are uh, uh, you know grow when you think about what what all of this means. It's not you know just somebody putting a rug down and wanting to pray at that corner for a day. This becomes then a permanent establishment and further erosion of the status quo on the Harabite. All right, I, I know I'm going to be criticized on many different levels for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway, and uh, you can choose to agree or not. But and, and and often when someone else would say this, I would not approve of it. But I don't know if it's a coincidence that that we watch this week all this happening on Harabayat, and God forbid we we the Jewish people and the state of Israel losing more um, uh, area. Uh, that we're directly responsible for the way you just described it on Harabayat. And at the same time, we are watching um, large groups of us filled with resentment uh, acting the way we are very, very close to Harabayat. And I, I've said this a million times, Malcolm, and you've probably have heard this a million times as well from different Jewish leaders. We, we are not nearly as concerned about the way we behave toward each other during times of turmoil and trouble the way we are concerned about how we behave toward each other during times of peace and prosperity. And now, thank God, we're in a time of peace and prosperity, and it, 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 is, it, is, it is difficult sometimes to watch what is going on near the Temple Mount uh, when it comes to the Jewish family and, um, and the way we are behaving. So I'm just going to say it that way. I don't know if you have a reaction to that, but I just think that we have to reconsider other methods to get our points across compared to the terrible images that come out when we are fighting with each other. Well, that's certainly true. And, the you know, it's uh, something that I said a couple months ago uh, when I, we were in Israel more than a month ago, and it was re- reproduced yesterday in the paper, requoted, where I, I said that people have to think about the images and the meanings of words and the 
projection at a time when we're coming under siege, the, it is even more important that we take into account the importance of what we do. We stand by principle. We don't shirk it. We have to, you know, stand firm on what we believe and what's important. But I can't agree more that the achdut of Klai Yisrael is more important now than in a long time. I mean, what is the enemy thinking when they see Jews violently toward each other? They must they must love every second of it. They should just remember why the Romans, the generals, held back because they were told the Jews are fighting amongst themselves. You don't have to do anything. You can walk in and take over Yerushalayim. And so it was. So it was. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com, on the NachumSingle Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. I want to thank our friends at Aaron's Casino Farms. They had an amazing uh, presentation of us on the road in Israel this week, and I thank them and all of our wonderful hosts and sponsors in the Holy Land. And I remind you, speaking of Israel, uh, Israel needs us, and Nefesh Benefesh is helping facilitate that. We'll broadcast live this coming Sunday from the Nefesh Benefesh Mega Event. It's in Teaneck, New Jersey, nbn.org slash mega, nbn.org slash mega. All right, there are a lot of people uh, rightfully concerned about what's going on in Washington. Um, first of all, someone asked where they can find... I mean, th- there's a list of, of who voted for and against this uh, resolution condemning anti-Semitism, right? That's not hard to find. No, it's very easy. It was posted yesterday, yeah. and it's available, and you can go to the, I'm sure, to the congressional record and uh, find it. But uh, people should not jump to the conclusion that people who voted against it, I think there were 23 votes against it, right. were Republicans. Right. They vote, most voted against it because they felt the resolution was too weak, that they had wanted to see a separate resolution on anti-Semitism, did not support this compromise measure, which, uh, you know, incorporates all the isms, uh, every possible ism and, and uh, form of uh, bigotry, uh, I think uh, diminishing the specific impact, uh, which was a response to to the remarks that uh, Omar has made many times, and the uh, there was there was originally to be just a condemnation of her, and then her name being removed, and just a condemnation, but specifically about anti-Semitism, and then they further watered it down. And if you listen to the Remarkable words of people like Ted Deutsch, Elliot Engel, uh, Josh Gottheimer, I think, um, Lee Zeldin, um, 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 uh, uh, I think there were uh, several more who who spoke uh, very movingly and have have been very courageous in uh, uh, standing up to to um, uh, what has been happening and and trying to be clear about the purpose and, and why this is uh, uh, troubling to, to many Jews. It's good that there's a resolution and that Congress acted against um, anti-Semitism, but amongst many other forms of racism, all which should be condemned, maybe in a separate resolution, as uh, several of them mentioned. Um, but the the important thing is to, to, to recognize uh, the debate and to look at some of the very offensive comments that Clyburn made, uh, the majority whip, in the house, um, in which he said that you know that her suffering, the suffering of the refugees, yeah, is boy. more immediate and the Holocaust <laughs> and Japanese interned were a long time ago in World War II. <laughs> he, he remembered that the refugees it was 1948. <laughs> that wasn't any much longer than the Holocaust, and that 
the refugees are still alive. They weren't killed. They, they moved to other countries and were kept as refugees in those countries, whereas the people, the victims of the Holocaust, that was permanent. There was no coming back. Yeah, plus, plus I would say, the 2,000-year history of everybody trying to kill us, which is a very big part of every Jew's uh, uh, you know, upbringing in this country or anywhere. That also shouldn't be minimized. Uh, yeah, I thought that that comment was absolutely outrageous. Uh, but but here's the point, and everybody out there tonight, you know, you're at the Shabbos table this evening, uh, and 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 I guarantee you, the next generation, especially as they are clouded by some of the comments in the media, are going to wonder what's wrong with this resolution. And as Ron Lauder said, all forms of bigotry and xenophobia, including Islamophobia, should be condemned. But we must not forget the specific nature of anti-Semitism within the current climate of anti-Zionism and rising attacks against Jews. This is reminiscent of Jewish leadership of decades ago who resented the, the, the um, attempt uh, to turn the Holocaust into a, an event that affected many, many groups of people. And, of course, we acknowledge all the groups that were targeted during the Holocaust. But to, to go ahead and, and uh, assume or presume that the, the, that the Holocaust and the final solution is initiated by Hitler was not specifically aimed at the Jews and Jews primarily is ridiculous. Everyone has to remember that, that this was a war against the Jews. And, yes, of course, many other groups you know, ended up being, being, being tortured and killed. But remember where the, how this all started, and that's one of the outrageous things about this resolution, frankly. Well, there, there are several things. Number one, it is not equivalent. Fifty-eight percent of religious hate crimes are directed at Jews. Nineteen percent right. against uh, Muslims, and that has decreased by seven uh, percent, and anti-Semitism has increased by five uh, percent. Second, we know that, the, you know, that Pelosi said, uh, Nancy Pelosi said that she didn't believe this was intended as an anti-Semitic, in an anti-Semitic way. Well, that exculpates uh, someone who has had a history and repeatedly, and as a BDS supporter, which denies Jews self-determination when they use known canards and, and tropes like dual loyalty uh, and, uh, you know, distort the role of APAC, which doesn't endorse and doesn't have a PAC, and uh, yet, uh, I mean, there's no talk about all the money the Arab world spends or her taking money from uh, CARE. Um, and, the uh, you know, when you, you try to create this kind of omnibus bill, which, again, we want to condemn any kind of hatred, any kind of, of, of uh, bigotry that is uh, manifest, should be addressed. But this here, you're talking about something very, very specific. And now you make the anti-Semite the victim, which is an age-old uh, tactic, or the, the bigot the, the, the victim, and the, the, the people who are targeted become then the person, the people under charge or, or who, who become the focus. And we saw this uh, repeatedly now in the in the talk about you know control of Congress and so many other things that that have been said, you know the big lie still works. Yep. The difference is that it takes seconds, not months, to spread a, uh, the big lie. Right. And nobody should be deluded when they say uh, Martin Luther King said, when they talk about against Zionists, they mean Jews, yep. and then you're talking about anti-Semitism. And I think that 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 is really the concern and. 
I, I, I don't question the motives of most of the people involved. I think they really do repudiate anti-Semitism. We know the American people do. We know the Democrats, most, the vast majority of the members of the Democratic Party and the vast majority of the members of, of Congress who are Democrats overwhelmingly would reject it. And this is a small minority who have expressed these kind of radical views or not just on, on Jews or Israel, but on other issues as well. But the media has given them such dominance and such prominence, and the, the, it, we shouldn't exaggerate their role, and I don't think we should be focusing on them. I think we have to focus on the other side, on building up the, the, the antidotes and the, the kind of actions that we want to see taken and how law enforcement, everybody across the board, acts against these uh, anti-Semitic incidents, and we see it now on campuses, you know, the popularity that, that, that is achieved by some of these people and the, the fact that campuses this week, two of them, voted BDS resolutions. Uh, and it was very telltale that this member of Congress spoke to Corbyn. And, you know, we're getting Corbyn on the Potomac uh, right now that, that this is same or very similar moves. And I, I yep. keep, kept saying here, as you know, that England is the model. Uh-huh. I didn't think it would go this far. And this quickly. Right. Um, the scariest part, the, the scariest political part for all this, especially for the younger people who, who are you know seeing this type of thing for the first time, uh, is the Pelosi statement. And I, I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable by singling somebody out, so feel free to either you know, respond or, or not you know, to whatever degree you want. But, but that someone like her, who is really, you know, uh, who politically, you know, has some real political smarts, uh, that she can come out with a statement, I do not believe that she understood the full weight of the words. I feel confident that her words were not based on any anti-Semitic attitude. I mean, I, I think it would have been better for her to say nothing than to look foolish and say, excuse me, you you, you really don't believe there was any anti-Semitism uh, in, this, in this woman's heart and mind when she... When she said what she said, and now has said it, has said it or something similar multiple times, and that's the scary part. That real mainstream political leaders from states with large Jewish communities in a party with great support from our people is ready to make a public statement like that. Right. Yeah. And and uh, we know that some of the internal debates, uh, at least some of the accounts of it, and I've spoken to some who even. Uh, had firsthand knowledge uh, were were disturbing as well, but but you know the party is facing a real challenge. But how do they retain unity? How do they not divide? Uh, uh, and and the reason why they went with the compromise, and I think in this case they, the, uh, she and the others were trying to read the tea leaves, uh, was that between fifty and a hundred members would not going to sign on to the original resolution. Mm. So is is it worse, they would argue, and I think she would argue, to have a resolution where half of the caucus or so doesn't vote for it, which undermines then the effort against anti-Semitism. But what does that tell us about the Democratic Party? If that many would have, in fact, not voted for it, if it would have been introduced. Well, they rally around there, and again, it, it says why people have to be not or just right, but smart, and have to be careful. Uh, when you look at what happened in the West Virginia, you know, it rallied people around her, and it was certainly offensive and, you know, a dumb thing to do. And, and, uh, and I don't know why somebody, you know, would just do it because, uh, you know, haters don't think necessarily. 
but it rallied everybody around her, and then it became, you know, Islamophobia and anti-Semitism uh, as equivalents. When in fact, it, these this is not the same thing. Uh, when you're talking about a publicly elected official in a sustained uh, series of comments, uh, and uh, and this act by someone at the in West Virginia. Here's the bottom line. The bottom line is that the Democratic Party and its leadership do not feel that it's worthwhile or or would it or would even be successful to try to censure or really come out with a strong statement about a, a member of theirs that speaks the way she does. That's the bottom line. If they felt it was it, it was a good political move and that the Democratic Party can get away with, you know, overwhelmingly condemning someone like her, they would likely consider it and they would probably do it. But they know, and you just described how, they know that there's no way that they would have enough members to make it look like an overwhelming feeling among Democratic leadership and party to condemn someone like her. And that's a, and that is a scary prospect. We sit down at the Shabbos table tonight with children and grandchildren and say to them that the mainstream Democratic Party of the United States, that the Jewish people in this country have voted for more often than not, including in the last election, uh, is not ready or is not is not in a in a position politically to to publicly strongly condemn a woman who speaks the way like the way that she does. I think it's important though that we balance it by telling that you know according to polls, even a Gallup poll that came out this week, which showed fifty nine to twenty one uh, percent the American people support Israel over the Palestinian. The Palestinian numbers have hardly changed. The pro Israel numbers for the last uh, almost 10 years or nine years, uh, ranged between two-thirds and 72%. So this uh, 69% view Israel favorably, so it's within the range. And uh, what we have seen, by the way, is a diminution in support, more amongst Republicans, greater Trump than amongst Democrats, according to the the poll. Um, But still, overwhelmingly, they support Israel. They view Israel favorably, uh, two-thirds of the American people, and that that's really the numbers that count. Where do people stand? Look, we have right, Democrat- actions on the extreme right, anti-Semitic attacks, and, and, and people argue that there are more on the, from the extreme right than from the extreme left. Um, but the, what the difference here is that when people in authority are, are, are espousing these kind of views, if you don't nip it in the bud, and again, it is a very small minority, we shouldn't exaggerate it, and we shouldn't focus on them, I think the role is to build up the rest, to educate and to to uh, isolate these people, uh, educate the larger mass, but isolate these members. Do whatever you know the, the Democratic Party should to do to to replace them in the next election, or to um, to it has to make clear that this is not acceptable. People give a lot of money to political parties and political candidates. They should think about these things as well. That's what democracy, you, you have the chance and the opportunity to really make your voice heard. And that's, uh, you know, hopefully we will see that. You know, we, we have so many challenges right now coming up. And the, you know, the escalation right now in Gaza worries me a lot because Hamas has its own agenda. Iron Dome was, in fact, implemented this week again. It twice, uh, yes. Uh, and uh, we saw an escalation in the balloons with IEDs attached right. to them, explosive devices. And more attacks, and they're calling for for more um, attacks along the border, and uh, and that has been uh, uh, been happening. 
Uh, and today, the, I'm sure the crowds will be pretty large, but they've been doing during the week and broadcasting. You know, they have these sound machines that make it impossible for people to sleep in the kibbutzim in the communities near Gaza. And so this is really a war on children uh, that that they're engaged in. And the um, and as well as you have uh, the question that is escalating situation in the north with more and more talk about uh, whether the United States would recognize annexation by Israel, the the annexation by Israel of uh, the Golan Heights. And there seems to be more support for that right now being expressed than uh, has been true. So, but we have so many serious issues that really require, um, you know, even small things that hardly get any notice that the Russian special forces are training an Al-Quds group of the Palestinian militia in Syria, that the, the replacement of Sunni population is escalating by Iran, uh, backed by Hezbollah, and, and putting in their people, that Hezbollah is, is training Sunni radicals uh, at the same time in inside Syria. Uh, you know, on, on every front, there are serious issues. But thank God Israel is strong and I think in a very good position overall. But we have to recognize, and, and, you know, Iran just appointed a new chief of staff and a new uh, head of the judiciary, both of whom were uh, involved in, uh, considered in extremist activities. This this judiciary head, Ariza, was in the 80s a member of the judiciary that sentenced a lot of people to death. And uh, this is uh, an assertion, I think, by the Supreme Leader and others, uh, and putting him perhaps in line for succession uh, to be the supreme leader, he's a, a deputy ayatollah in, in rank. Uh, so these are all important issues, and they've gotten obfuscated over the week because of the these um, sideshows. Yeah, I got that. The in terms of annexation, other major issues in Israel, it looks like none of those are considerations in the election, and basically this is just turning into a referendum on Bibi. That is true. You, you vote for or against Bibi, and uh, I, I spoke to some young Israelis yesterday, and essentially they said that they had voted for him in the past, but they didn't feel comfortable. Right. And I think two-thirds of Israelis said that, that they had reservations about, or something stronger, uh, about voting for him. But again, it's only you know a week after the announcements, and right. uh, you know th- there was no real shock involved. There was no new revelation and we don't know the details. And again, this this will take nine months, a year before any action on this is taken. So it's an overhang, but and, there, and there's no clarification in the way to to repudiate it on his part, except to make statements saying this is not true and that he will prove it's not true. But that's what every defendant says. What happened this week with the UN Rights Council, the UN, and Saudi Arabia? Um, well, the Human Rights Council met, and uh, we had expected the um, um, the issuance of uh, a blacklist against companies that was put off, Israeli companies in the West Bank, but it was put off for um, an undefined period, it's something we, we did not want to see happen, and we're glad that it was put off. Uh, but again, you, so the, the, this issue is not coming up. They're, they're meeting this uh, coming week, I think, in Geneva, uh, and it's um, the Article 7 is still in place, which is the only country in the world that has a separate article on the agenda with all of the spate of the normal and regular meaningless resolutions, um, meaningless in terms of their 
authenticity and, and legitimacy, but not meaningless in terms of the, the criticism of Israel. And we saw statements by uh, the UN officials about the um, attacking uh, Israel, Saudi Arabia, and others over human rights issues, which is, um, I mean, it's just ludicrous when you, you think about the whole array and panoply of issues and Israel's incredible record of reaching out, of helping, of of uh, service to others, its mashav program, foreign aid program, and yet it just doesn't matter. It's the automatic condemnations at the United Nations, which does feed also into the current atmosphere. Yeah, that's what I thought was significant was that Saudi Arabia was actually cited for the first time that they're part of the council. Um, the uh, the archives of uh, World War II that are about to be released, are we going to learn much more, do you think? We're going to learn much more about Pope Pius XII and um, and uh, his attitude toward Jews during the world during World War II. I do believe that we will learn uh, things. You remember that, that the Vatican scholars have been going through this for years, so I hope that all the documents will actually be released, that we'll actually get to see everything, but the, um, uh, you know, the, this has been the period of Pope Pius uh, was, has been a subject of a lot of uh, speculation, a lot of debate, a lot of accusations and counter-accusations, so I think it will be good to clear the air, and I hope that they will really provide access to the scholars for to, to all of this, but it will be another year before that will happen. Finally, Malcolm, Jason Greenblatt at the White House is suggesting that Israel and the PA or Israel and whoever its partner will be should be left alone to negotiate uh, the future peace process. Uh, is it possible that once this election is over and the U.S. does in fact um, issue its uh, peace proposal that there will be a strong attitude uh, like that, meaning that, uh, that the U.S., I think for the first time, would in fact encourage that it be left to the two parties with very little intervention? Well, that's the only way that a, a peace process works, is if the parties have to come to an agreement. All the good work that uh, Jason has done and the uh, and uh, Jared Kushner and their efforts and expending that effort, traveling constantly to the region, I want to give them credit for, uh, you know, this. Uh, and and the biggest credit is that they've kept it really secret, which is a miracle, um, and, uh, and respectfully acting so that they didn't interfere in the election by coming forward with it before. Uh, the election in Israel, uh, and seeming to be steadfast in their commitments and, and expressing it, and the demands on, on uh, Abbas, et cetera. Right. So the, the, but the fact is that when you have a lot of people mixing into the brew, it, it often can be counterproductive, yeah. and we should give it a chance. It, it is, it's not going to be a panacea. It's obviously going to be things people like and don't like, and then we'll we'll have to see. But right now, Abbas says he won't even talk about it, and especially after the Jerusalem, the shift in the Jerusalem consulate to be under the embassy. I mean, they're just saying everything compounds it, and and they disregard, um, you know, the the United States' role right now, and 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 the process, and saying they will not be part of it. I don't think that they can stay outside of it. They're going to have to respond to it one way or another. And the most important message tonight to children and grandchildren around the world, do whatever you need to do and work as hard as possible to increase peaceful Jewish unity. And Aliyah, and that that we not give up and people not let uh, uh, this minority to dictate how we feel. What it should do is spur everybody on to greater involvement, 
greater attendance at APEC, at things you've got to repudiate in every way. Those who make these, uh, who engage in these kind of activities, the lesson of history is that you can't let it go, that you have to stand up, identify it, speak out against it, and that it's not a Jewish problem. This is the world's problem. This is there. We are the victims. Yeah. But it, they have to stand up and resolve it. Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful a Shabbos. Pleasure. We'll have speak, a good speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays. 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time here at JM in the a.m.